right, you can have a seat. You can have a seat. Hey, um, most of you know me. I'm Landon. I'm the student pastor. Uh, and I'm not from around here. I sound a little different. I love the Razorbacks, not Penn State. Definitely don't love the Eagles. Uh, I, yeah, there we go. I don't love them. Not a fan. But it's okay. You guys can still find Jesus too. Uh, so, no, it's, it's fine. Uh, I'm from Arkansas. Uh, and what that means, when my wife and I, about three years ago, moved from Arkansas, we left our family. Right, we, we left our family 1,200 miles away, but what I love about these weekends, every time we step into this church, we have a surrogate family here. Uh, in, in fact, that, that word, uh, surrogate family, that phrase uh, is one of the reasons that I am here. That was a prayer that Kayla and I prayed in our, our private prayer life. When we were looking for a place to come, God, where do you want us to serve? We prayed, God, give us a surrogate family. Who says that word? That's not common, right? And when I met Joe for the first time, Joe was like, yeah, we can be your surrogate family. And I was like, holy smokes. Oh, no, Holy Spirit, you're here. <laughs> like, that was amazing. Uh, and so every time we show up here, we feel like we have a family. And that's why I asked you for just a second to get out of your comfort zone and say hey to people during service, not at the coffee bar, right? Because I want us to act like family. Let's get a little bit of energy, a little bit of life in this place. And so that's actually what we're going to be talking about. When we gather here, it feels a bit like a family gathering. Am I right? All right, I'm the student pastor. We can talk back when I ask you a question, not just Drew. He's a loudmouth. He likes his own voice, and I'm kidding, Drew. Uh, hey, if you know Drew, you know I'm telling the truth. That's fine. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> hey, you, when I ask you a question, what can you do? Answer me, please. I feel I love it when you do that. So it makes me feel a little more alive and like you're actively listening. So it feels a little bit like a family gathering, am I right? Yes, it should. It should feel like a family gathering. And when I think about family gatherings, for you in your own life, where do those typically take place? When do they typically take place? Holidays, special occasions like weddings, things like that, a graduation, big important moments, family reunions, right? They're, they're important. They're, they're good times. And for me and my family, because we, we live further away, those big family gatherings in our own life typically happen once a year, and it's at Christmas. And it's so much fun. And Christmas down in Arkansas is way different than Christmas up here because it's actually cold here. In Arkansas, like, I can go duck hunting in shorts and, and sandals, and it's still not that cold yet. And so it's a little different. But we, when we gather as a family, it's just loud and chaotic and crazy, and it's, it's so much fun. There's kids playing in the backyard, right, throwing a baseball around or a Frisbee. And we're rednecks, so we also get the shotguns out, and we're, like, shooting clays in our backyard. Uh, and it's, it's so fun. The adults, what do they do? They sit on the porch drinking coffee, reminiscing about the good times, right? And then sometimes it gets a little crazy and you start talking politics and it's like, oh my gosh, family breakdown at the holiday. What's going on? Right? Is that just me or is that you too? You know what I'm talking about. But yeah, it's so much fun. We, we talk to the weightier things in life as we're back porch sitting with a cup of coffee, just having a good time. And then the best part of family gatherings, what, are, what is it? It's the meal. Oh my gosh. My favorite holiday, and I kid you not, is Thanksgiving. Because there is so much meat, <laughs> so much meat, and mashed potatoes and gravy. If, you, if you're not a mashed potato and gravy fan, and you don't pour gravy over everything, you do need Jesus, and I'll, I'll introduce you to him. <laughs> but gravy goes on top of potatoes, meat, stuffing, dressing, whatever it is, bread, like oh, every bit of it needs some gravy, right? 
Oh, it's so good. But I, if I don't leave Thanksgiving meal like three belt sizes bigger, it wasn't a good year, right? Like, and at our, at our family gatherings, right, really you have two types of cooks. And you're one of two of these, right? You're, you're one of these two. You're like my mom. My mom cooks for the exact amount of people, sometimes a little less, right? And then you have people like my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law was the opposite. There could be one person or 100 people, and there is going to be food for an army. Like she could literally feed the entire army with one meal. And it's, it's all right. It's great. But you're one of those two people. And so as I think about family gatherings, I, I, I really think about this where there's so much food, there's abundance. I think of the first time I visited Kayla's family over a holiday, and there was two tables for meat. We had turducken. Who's had turducken before? I'm not kidding. It's amazing. It, it, it actually exists. It's not an animal, but you, you stick them inside. It's all so good. And there was dove, and there, were, there was duck, and there was roast, and all this food. And then there was two tables for sides. There was a table for homemade bread, and there were like 12 tables for desserts. I'm not kidding when I say I grew three belt sizes. Like, this is a real thing. And we eat that meal like 12 times because there's so much food. But I love this meal. And then the other thing that stands out to me about family gatherings is there are two tables. What are those tables? Say that again. The adult table and the kids table. What happens in every family, doesn't it? We all know that. We've all seen it. The adults table and the kids table. And so I want to set this stage. I want you to think back to Maybe not too long ago if you had a family reunion or a special occasion, but some of you got to think back a year and you're like, Landon, don't make me think a year. We've, we've slept since then. Let's think about the adult table real quick. Set the table with me. You start with, is there a tablecloth? Some of you, yeah, you, you have a nice tablecloth. If you're like my mother-in-law, you put this big old centerpiece where no one can see across to each other and we have to move it just to have a conversation. What kind of plates are you using? The good stuff, right? This is the one time a year you get to pull out that china. Yeah? Come on, yeah. Like for me, Kayla and I, when we got married, we almost like, my, my mother-in-law almost lost it because we're like, we're not registering for China. We're not going to use it. We're not going to get it. We don't want it. But you pull out the China. Are you using throwaway silverware or are you using the nice silverware? Most of you are using the nice stuff. When you're drinking, you have a, you have a, a glass of whatever. Are you using a plastic throwaway cup? Are you using a real, real glass cup, a weighty cup? You got the nice stuff, Right? Think about your portions. Is all the food on the main table? Oh, yeah, you get, you get good portions, don't you? And then the conversations that take place, they're, they're weightier. Or maybe we're reminiscing about the good old times. And then we've got the kids' table. Let's set the kids' table. This is, like, this is really relevant for me because every meal in my family is like the kids' table because we've got three small ones. If we are smart, we put a plastic tablecloth on it, right? Like the ones that wrap around the bottom so that when the spills happen, what can we do? We just roll it back up. Are we using good plates? No, what are we using? Plastic plates. Sippy cups for the little kids. We're using throwaway silverware. The portions, mom always gets the portions for the kids, right? Because you know what they want. It's mac and cheese and chicken tenders, right? So yeah, it's a little bit because you don't want a lot of wasted food. Spills are everywhere. It's crazy. And then what about the conversations that are taking place? It happens the same every meal. It starts kind of quiet, and then it gets a little louder. And then there's some laughter, and then it's funny. And then all of a sudden, a switch is flipped, and what happens when the teenagers get going? 
There's a fight and it's crazy, right? And then it ends in tears. It always happens this way. But this is the kids' table. It's a completely different experience than we found at the adult table. It's one meal, two tables, two completely different experiences. And it's like this at all of our gatherings. One meal, two tables, two different experiences. And within our family, this works. It's convenient, it's practical, and so we continue to do it. But at the same time, when I look at these two tables, it creates an obvious gap, right? I mean, even think just physically, there's two tables, there's space between it, right? But it creates more than just physical space, it creates a gap in the family, Because when they're separated from one another, they're both missing out on key elements that bring the family together. The two-table setup, it's missing elements that bring them together. The adult table without the kids and the teenagers, sometimes we miss out on the fun and the laughter and the craziness and the spills and the messes that happen. And the energy that teenagers can bring to a table, the energy that toddlers can definitely bring to a table. If you've got toddlers, you know what I'm talking about. We're missing out on something. We're missing out on the spills and messes that create learning opportunities along the way. But the adults aren't the only one missing something. When we have this physical gap, the kids' table is missing out on things as well. They're missing out on stories and reminiscing about the good old times. They're missing the, the conversations where they get to hear how grandma and grandpa fell in love. They're missing out on the conversations about hearing how mom and dad are or were are knuckleheads just like their kids were. They're missing out on all these stories. They're missing out on the shared identity and sense of belonging. And as I begin to think about this this picture, it seems like within the church, a lot of times, there can be a two-table setup as well. We've got the adults' table, and we've got the kids' table within the church. It has the same problem and it suffers the same results. It's easy to look at the church and see this same setup and same problems that have the potential to form when we have this two-table setup. And, and, and it reminds me of when I was a kid, and maybe you were this way too. I grew up in a small, small church, and as a kid, we called, when we got to go into the big service, what do we call it? Big Big church. Do you call it big church? You may still call it big church. But we, we called it big church. And it was made clear to us that, yeah, we may be invited. And, and we can come and sit in there as long as we're quiet. And we don't cause a ruckus and don't make distractions. But it was clear that our seat, our place really wasn't at this table. We were invited to it, but it wasn't really our place. Our place wasn't at this table. Our place was at the kids' table. Our, our, our conversation was meant for more of the lighter topics. We weren't needed in the adult conversations all the time, but at some point we grow up, we become teenagers, and we have to ask ourselves this question of which table do I belong? Which table do I belong? Do I have a place at the adult table with the weightier topics in life, or do I have to stay over here with the kids in the shallow end? The lighter conversations, which is my place, which table do I belong? And this is where I believe that the two table set up within the church can really hurt us. 
As I look at this, I think, man, there can be so many problems and it is going to hurt us because somewhere along the way, our young people get lost in between the two tables. Some, some students went back to school like Thursday, but most, uh, most of the students in our county are heading back to school Monday and Tuesday. And, and the new school year, I mean, you remember it, right? It brought a sense of excitement for a lot of us. Some of you got new shoes, new clothes, new backpack, new books, new teachers, new sports, new coaches, all this newness within it, right? Do you remember that? Come on, did no one go back to school shopping? Yes, it was new. Like, it was exciting. There was so, so much newness, and, and some of it can be a lot of fun. But at the same time, it forces us to ask this question of what's next? What's going to come in this new year? What, what, what's next for me? Uh, a few months ago, we graduated 12 seniors out of our ministry, out of our church. Y'all remember that? We had a little slideshow for them. We prayed over them. It was great. We graduated 12 students out of here. And this is one of the most difficult transitions in their life. And they're asking themselves, what's next? What's next for me? Where is my place? Not only is it what's next going into school, but it's also one of the most difficult transitions in their faith. Where they're, they're stepping out of what they were told, where they were at for so long. It's a difficult transition in their face. And research is really revealing. There's a study that came out, and it's continued to be updated time after time. But it's a, it's a study about kids who have been to church. They had a place within the church. Their parents brought them. But not only just to like a service like this. They were also involved in a youth group. So kids who were coming, not to church just one time, but they were, they were actively growing a little bit deeper in their faith. They were coming to youth group or serving in some way. And this number is absolutely staggering. Kids who are leaving the church at an alarming rate. Reach research on a conservative side. So those, those kids who came to church were in youth group and serving in some capacity or leaving the church at about 50%. That's the conservative answer. Some others say, nah, it's more like 60. And there's a, a growing number that are actually saying, no, it's more like 70% of students are actually leaving the church. They're walking away from their faith. And a lot of it, I think, has to do with a two-table setup within the church. It has to do with a two-table setup in the church because what happens is kids grow out of kids' ministry and youth ministry, and they're looking for a sense of belonging. They're looking to go deeper. They want a shared experience, a shared identity with the church, but when they go and check out the adult table, sometimes they feel like, I don't belong here yet, but I don't belong here anymore. And so what happens when they don't feel like it's their time yet, and they, they feel this way, and so they don't feel like they have a place at the kids' table, and they don't feel like they have a place at the adult table, what do you do when you don't have a place at the table? You leave. Maybe you've been to a restaurant before, and there's no room for you. It's booked. The wait time's an hour. What do you do? You leave. You leave the table, and what we're seeing is when students don't feel like they have a place at the kids' table any longer, and they don't feel quite welcomed into the adults' table, they're going to step away from the meal. 
That's why teenagers are leaving the church and they're leaving their faith at an alarming rate. And, and when this happens, who suffers? When kids, when next gen, when young adults are leaving the table, it's not just them who suffers, is it? No. The church as a whole suffers. When our, our next gen, when, when young adults step away from their faith and step away from the church, it's not just them and their families who suffer. The church suffers because all of a sudden the church is missing out on something that it needs. It's missing out on, on the excitement and life and the willingness to jump in and serve in ways that some of us can't because we have kids, we have families. It's, it's missing out on creativity and gifts and talents of young people and passion and willingness of young people. And at some point we have to ask ourselves, are, are the two tables actually working or is it just practical and convenient? And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm teaching this, I'm, I'm saying this because this is a question I'm wrestling with on, on what do we do? How do we make this happen? How do we stop this before it becomes an issue in our community? And I think Jesus answers this question in, in Mark chapter 10. And a lot of you know the story. Jesus is, is sitting and he's teaching to, to some people. And he's talking about some weightier topics in life. Politics, money, divorce. Right? These would be adult table conversations, am I right? Yes, I see a couple head nods. Yeah, yes, they're, they're weightier topics. And some parents show up. Right? And this is coming from the Landon International Version. So I'm not going to like, you're not going to read this scripture. You're going to hear a very good um, translation here from the stage, okay? So this is Landon Version. And Jesus is sitting there talking about these things. Some parents come with their kids, and the kids want to run to Jesus. And what do those disciples do? Say that loud. They're stopping, they're shooting, no, get away, get out of here, get out of here. All right, Jesus is talking. He's talking about important things. You don't have anything to add to this conversation. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't just stop them. He angrily stops them. He stops them with passion. And he's like, whoa, 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 what do you think you guys are doing? Don't, don't shoo these kids away. Because the kingdom that is going to be inherited is theirs. They have value. They are needed. They are needed here. You know, don't, don't send the kids back to the kids' table. They need to, to hear this. They need to be involved in it. Even if they're not bringing anything to the conversation, letting this conversation fall over their ears, letting them hear how we wrestle with this ourselves. Let's let them into this conversation so they can see how we react at the adult table. It's like, you don't understand the kingdom of God. My kingdom I've, I've come here to reveal to you is actually there, so let them in. And a little bit later, we're going to continue in the story. Jesus, way at the end of his life, he ascends into heaven, and he leaves behind a, a, a dude named Paul. And Paul is going to go a little bit deeper into this, and he's talking to the church in Corinth. And he uses a different illustration to show them this point. As he's talking to the church in Corinth, he's like, the church is like a body. You've heard this, right? 1 Corinthians, we're gonna, the passage will be up on the screen. We're gonna read this together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20 through 25. And he, he's here and he's saying, look, the church is like a body. And it says, as it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye can't say to the hand, 
I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker and dispensable and the parts that we think are less honorable are to, are to be treated with special honor and the parts that are unpresentable treated with modesty. With our pres, uh, presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that it lacked so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. So Paul is here and he's giving us this illustration of what the church is. It's one body, many parts, and we need them all. So let's think logically. Like, everyone put your hands up. Now put your right hand down. Imagine you're doing life without your right hand. <laughs> Can you do it? No, think logically. Can you live without your right hand? Yeah, you can do it. Can you still do some good things in life without your right hand? Yeah, sorry if you're right-handed. It's going to be a little more, more difficult. But you can still do, create, make good things, right? You can live a functioning life. But can you thrive the way God originally designed you to without a part? No, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think we can thrive. It seems a little unlikely. The same is true for the church. For the church to thrive, everyone, let's go back to Paul's illustration, every part needs a place at the table. For our church, for Next Community Church to continue to thrive, everyone needs a place at the table. Whether you're three years old, Or older. I'm not going to throw ages out. I don't want to make some of you feel bad. We all need a place at the table. For the church to thrive, everyone needs a place at the table. And the two tables, the kids' table and the adult tables, are separate. We're missing out on things. We're missing out on something. Until the crazy aunt or crazy uncle gets up from the adult table and he declares, we're missing something, something's wrong with this. And he does something crazy, and he pulls the two tables together. And he makes everyone stand up, switch seats, find a new spot, and mingle. And as I, I began to think about this, and please do this with me. I was like, okay, Landon, who in your family is the crazy one who would do this? I was like, all right, it's not my mom or dad. <laughs> My sister's always been the adult. My brother Lance is way too smart to have a stupid conversation. My two youngest brothers are still, we still make them sit at the kids' table. Dang, it left me. And I was like, yeah, you know, that's right. Who's the crazy uncle, the crazy aunt, the crazy sibling? And a lot of you in this room, you're thinking through who's the, I think it, nope, it's you. Who's the crazy aunt, crazy uncle, the sibling, who is going to be the one to stand up, bring these two tables together, realize something is missing, and bring them together and say, let's do this together, where the teenagers are getting the best of, the both, of both worlds, where the grown-ups are a little uncomfortable because they have to eat with messes on the table. We have to bring these tables together. That's because this crazy uncle gets it. He understands that for the family to thrive, everyone has to have a place in the table and within the church. We need a few more crazy aunts and uncles. For the church to thrive, everyone needs a place. And the beautiful thing is it can happen here. When we pull the tables together 
in church, beautiful pictures happen. So what does that look like? What does that look like for next community church to pull the two tables together every week so that we all have a place in the table? Uh, we don't have many in this service, but I tell you, you come to next service. If you look in this back section, there's a bunch of kiddos running around worshiping together with their mom and dads. A lot of times my son's back there on Rich Shaneline's shoulders during worship, and it gets a little chaotic and it gets a little hectic, but it looks like us worshiping together, inviting kids in laughter and chaos into what we normally see as a quiet, respectful time, but it allows kids to see how you worship. Sometimes that looks like you getting out of your comfort zone, maybe going and holding a couple kids or running around on Sunday mornings with some really crazy kids. And that's Mike LaBella. That's not the kids. The crazy Mike, right? Running around with him and helping in our children's ministry. Maybe it looks like you getting very uncomfortable coming on a Thursday night and serving for a few hours, loving on some students, serving them food, sitting in small group with him, doing life together. Or something we all can do, because I know most of you are in community groups. Maybe it's instead of sending your kids to the basement to watch the younger kids, allowing them to come sit in with your group, pray with you, hear the weightier conversations that you were discussing. Maybe it's you don't have kids and you're an older CG and inviting some of the students. I know we have a couple community groups who have started doing this and it's changing, it's adding energy, it's adding life and it's allowing students to see what it looks like to walk in community. What a crazy idea. But we pull the two tables together. We let students see they have a place at the table. We let kids see they have a place at the table. It's one table. Where else are our children and teens going to learn their history? Where else are they going to learn their shared identity within the church except when we as adults step into that role and show them you have a place at the table. Are there going to be spills? Are there going to be messes? Yeah. Is it going to be a little crazy and chaotic? Absolutely. But how else do we expect kids to grow? How else do we expect them to learn? And then the meal's over. Where do we go from, from the meal? Right back outside. After we let that food settle for a little bit, right? You can turn the game on, that's fine. But then we, as families, we typically go right back outside. And we're throwing the ball around. And the adults are having their cup of coffee with their pie. And then the crazy uncle sets his coffee down and he steps onto the field with the kids and he's on the ground rolling around playing. We need a few more people in the church to set their coffee down, hang out with some kids, and show them how to do life, do life with them on their terms. It's important to meet them where they are, but it's just as important are the, are the times when we just eat at one table. I read a statistic um, about two months ago, uh, and it, it's changed the way I view discipleship. I think as a church, we view discipleship poorly um, for a long time. Uh, we, we tend to think, hey, let's grab a book and let's go meet for coffee once a week and read a chapter, talk about a chapter, and then discuss it and maybe grow from it, right? Some of you, that's what you've thought of discipleship. It's okay to, to but I think that's wrong. I think that's just a part of it. 
Ryan Roush and I were talking last week as I, was, as I was thinking about this, and I think we've defined discipleship poorly, and I look at it now more as like an umbrella. And maybe a book study is, is a part of that. It falls under the umbrella. But discipleship is also takes place when you're at CG and your students see how you live life, just living life. It, it, it's showing up to a kid's game and, and hanging out with them and, and meeting them on their terms. It's all encompassing. It's a much bigger thing. Discipleship is so much bigger. And the statistic that I read, um, it really helped solidify this. And it says for a student to be a fully devoted disciple, like someone who is fully discipled, it doesn't take one person in their life, not two, not three, not four. Outside of a parental role, it takes five adults coming alongside a student for them to be a fully devoted disciple. Five separate adults. And that got me thinking about my own life. That got me thinking about who were the men and women who came alongside me as a kid, as a teenager, to help me get to where I am today. It made me think of Gary Lee, who taught my Awanas class as I was a third grader, and I was crazy. But Gary Lee is still one of these spiritual giants in my life who, who cares about me, and I know he's praying for me, not just me, but all my siblings. He still does it. It was Terry Castleman who shot paintballs at me when he took my seventh grade small group to go play paintball. And he froze them. Like the, Terry Kassman loved us, but he also wanted, no, I'm kidding. But Terry Kassman was a spiritual giant in my life. It was Mike Cawthron who invited me over to his house because he needed some help with some yard work. And it was time and time again where we just did life together. It was Brent Lee, uh, a, a young adult, single adult, who helped in Awanas, and he played games with us, and he was on the floor wrestling with us and just being crazy, it was all these men who stepped up. It was my student pastor, Brian Mills, who saw something in me and said, Landon, like, let's hone these skills. Let's, let's give ownership, and you have a place in our student ministry. You own this, and not just in our student ministry, but within our church, you have a place. It was five men I know who came alongside me and helped form the person you see today. That's why we shot paintballs in this room. That's why we have fun. It, but it's doing life together. It's men and women who come alongside students. It takes more than just mom and dad doing the work. So band, you guys can come back up. I'm wrapping up. I don't talk as long as Joe. But I want, I want us to imagine for a minute what it would look like if we were a church who consistently pulled the tables together. What would it look like to be a church that pulls the tables together? What would happen if kids and teenagers grew up in a church where they didn't just think one day we are going to be the future, but realized, no, we have a place here at the table right now. We are valued members of this body. Imagine what would it look like if they stopped hearing they're the future and started hearing that they are the church and they're given opportunities to be the church. It doesn't do enough just to tell them you are the church, but now to actually say, no, we have the opportunity to be the church by, by greeting with you, by serving alongside you in the nursery, by hearing that their, their, their opinions, their thoughts are valued. Imagine what would happen if we had more crazy aunts and uncles who were intentionally investing in the lives of students. 
It's a church. I need you to step up and be a little more crazy. We need some more crazy aunts and uncles who are willing to pull the tables together and say, hey, let's, let's not stay content with how things can be, but let's, let's bring it this way and say, let's, let's add a little bit to this mix. Let's do this together. We got to intermingle. We got to be together. Pull the tables, inviting them to serve, learn with them, walk with them, grow with them, teach with them. My guess is that when this happens, it's not just a church that exists, that just gets by, that makes budget. But when we pull the tables together, my, my theory is that this is a church that thrives. For the church to thrive, everyone needs a seat at the table. And when everyone has a place, everyone has a significant role, the greater kingdom is going to be impacted. But for that to happen, we've got to pull our tables together because for the church to thrive, everyone needs a seat. And so my question to you, what's your role in that? How are you going to walk alongside some young adults, bring them into your community group, serve with them in elementary, nursery, youth ministry? What are you going to do to help bring these tables together within our own community? Because we don't want to be a church that just exists. We want to be a church that thrives with everyone in here, knowing that they have a seat at the table. Father, we love you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for a church that, that, that cares about our next gen. We don't want to be a part of that statistic where we see so many people walking away, not just from the church, but from their faith completely. So Father, I pray for men and women to continue stepping up and to start stepping up, pulling those tables together, inviting us to all have a place at the table. In your son's name we pray, amen.